I'm very pleasantly surprised. I dropped Denise a line probably about a week ago, I think, saying, could you do the reading for Sunday? She came back to me and said, I'd be delighted. I, I say that because it's an encouragement when people respond like that. You know, it's an encouragement. Oh, sometimes it isn't like that, is it, Lorraine? You know, so, you know, we're one body, we're serving one another. There's an awful lot in that passage, and I'm just going to draw one, go to one perspective of it. I'm going to try and give us a, a fair, clear overview of, of the whole passage, obviously. L last week, when David Lucas was here, he was speaking on the Beatitudes, or as I like to know them, the beautiful attitudes. But anyway, the Sermon on the Mount, as it uh, is recorded in, in uh, Matthew's Gospel. And David made it very clear when he spoke about these Christian attitudes, is he reminded us how contrary they are to the typical ways of the world. They're counter-cultural in so many ways. The Christian life is not you know, this way. It's often you know, actually quite diametrically opposed. And my preparation for this morning has led me in a similar direction, uh, but this time uh, looking at the words of the Apostle Paul here in Romans 12. Coming back from my time away, I was praying for the church, obviously, and asking for a scripture that would provide encouragement for the fellowship at this time. I'm well aware, as I'm sure you are, that we're now almost into the fourth year of a pastoral vacancy here at NBC. And although we have only been active, actively looking for someone for only a part of that time, but just over a year, it can sometimes seem like a rather long journey with a rather uncertain destination. And those prayers led me to verse 12, which I think is behind me. Now behind me, thank you very much. <laughs> um, and it just seemed like a very relevant word to the church. A Christian attitude to take note of is in that reading, is verse 12 of reading Denise brought to us. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. And it's a verse that calls for patience in times of trial and difficulty. It calls for faithfulness and persistence in prayer. But wrapped around it all is this reminder of the hope we have in Christ and therefore the joy we have in Christ. I think sometimes we can end up doing things in church and it turns into a chore, a burden. Oh, oh good, but I need to go and do And I understand that because I can feel it myself at times. But we need to be wary of that attitude because we actually should actually be living and waiting and working for the Lord and we have a good cause to feel joyful about what we do. And that joy is contagious. You know, if we feel good about what we do, typically it comes over to those around us, not just people here, but people in our, in our lives all week as we live them, people maybe meet in events like we did on the, on the uh, green the other day. Just because the road at times seems rather long and hard and stony and it seems like someone's just laid lots of obstacles in our path, we're reminded by Paul, I think, that that is not the time to retreat into our shells like some sort of snail or tortoise or whatever you want to, to think about. But instead, it is actually one where we're challenged to continue visibly living out our lives of faith and with the hope that we obviously profess. In fact, it's worth noting in scriptures that it's often in times of difficulty where our faith is being tested and it's being refined and polished by God, not because he's trying to hurt us, but because he loves us and he wants to see us, he wants to see more of us, more for us. 
Zechariah 13 and verse 9, the Lord says, I will refine them like silver. I will test them like gold. And they will call on my name. And I will answer them. They are my people. And I will say, I am your God. It's precisely at times like this that we have the opportunity to choose to press on, to choose not to lose heart, to choose to trust the Lord and move on. With Jesus at our side, there's no need to lose heart, even when we don't know precisely where we are going. But having said all that, a bit about verse 12, and a message I think is relevant to the church and to us together, I went on to reflect about the wider passage, which is the passage that I had asked the Denise to read, because that gives the context of what Paul is saying here about Christian attitudes. And he's speaking mainly in this whole reading about Christian relationships. Firstly, and most importantly, in the first two verses, about our relationship with God. And then in the next verses, three to eight, about our, how we view ourselves, how we see ourselves, our relationship in that sense with ourselves. And then the last verses are very much speaking about our relationship and our attitudes towards others. You can see those three stages as a, like a flow of water, a waterfall, as it were, of God's grace. A waterfall that starts with God and in God, but flows out from God into the believer's heart through the Spirit, but through them into the world that we are called to serve together. So what I'm going to do now, I'm just going to look at the passage as a whole, and then I'm going to come back to verse 12, finally at the end. So you'll have to sort of bear with me a little bit in this. So this will be slide two, which is right there. Great, thank you. In order to fully appreciate the first two verses of Romans 12, we need to always remember, as I'm sure many of you do, the wonderful doxology that precedes it at the last bit of chapter 11. It's very easy to read, oh, chapter 12, it starts here, but it doesn't, actually. The end of chapter 11, Paul is saying, oh, the depths and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, exclamation mark, how unsearchable his judgments, how unsearchable his paths, they're beyond, beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who can be his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should ever repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him, to him be the glory forever. And Paul is coming from this doxology into verse 1 of the chapter 12, if you want to understand it. So see, under see that. Paul is caught up in a song of praise, a song of wonder, you're knowing that he knows so little about God, but even what he knows is enough to worship. And he urges his listeners to respond to this amazing grace that he sees in Christ. That they respond by becoming living sacrifices devoted to his goodwill and purposes. Verse 1 reads, Therefore I urge you, in view of God's mercy, and he's speaking of this doxology, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. If someone urges something upon us, they are strongly advocating it. They're not just saying, well, you might like to look at this when you get some time. They're saying, this is really important. They're recommending it. They're almost insisting upon it. Paul says, in view of God's mercy, in view of the gift of forgiveness and freedom offered 
in Christ, in view of the fully embracing nature of all that he has done through the cross, the only right response is that believers should offer back to God all that they are as living sacrifices, ones that are holy and pleasing to God. A sacrificial act is one where we give ourselves away for someone else. It is an act in which we do not serve our own interests, but instead seek to serve the well-being and interests of others. It sounds so simple in principle, doesn't it? But as we all know who have struggled to do this, it can be so hard to do in practice, to put our self, our egos, our personality aside. But this is exactly why Paul speaks of this in these, this, this order. This movement of grace must start in God. There's no point in this movement of grace and goodwill and trying to do good deeds starting in, in us. We do not have the means. We can do some good things. But that, sooner or later, runs out of steam. Paul urges his listeners to let go of themselves and to put God's goodwill first, to be willing to become living sacrifices, people who live and embody that attitude. Jesus taught us to love God and to love our neighbour, and through his life and ministry, he showed us what that really meant, not just on Sunday mornings, but every day of the week, every hour of the day, and every minute and second of the hour. He showed us what it really meant, even to his own death on the cross. In Romans 5 and verse 6, Paul writes, You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for our sakes, not his sake. Clearly living sacrifices do not conform to the patterns of this world. Paul describes this attitude towards God as an act of devotion, an act of worship not something just undertaken on a Sunday morning, but something that is always present in our lives, day and night. And it's the attitude that God in Christ calls us to aspire towards, knowing that we haven't yet achieved all this, as Paul says. It's an attitude of trust. It's an attitude of openness to God, knowing this is God's good will for us, making ourselves available to his good will and purposes any time, day or night. Before we trusted in Christ, we used our body and our mind for our own purposes, but now we belong to him. We should want to use it for his glory. We are the, indwell the temple of the indwelling spirit of God. Our bodies, we are told by Paul, are in that sense God's temple. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price, a great price. Therefore, honour God with your body. It is our duty and our privilege to glorify Christ 
in all we are, in all we do. Paul writes in Philemon chapter 1, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. Just as Jesus Christ had to take on himself a body in order to accomplish God's will on earth, so we now yield our bodies to him, so that he might continue his good work through us. As Paul says, yielding the members of our body, he talks about being an instrument of God's righteousness, an instrument of the Holy Spirit at work in us. The sacrifices in the Old Testament were dead sacrifices. They were things that had been killed. But we in Christ are to be living sacrifices, no longer conforming to the ways of the world, but instead being transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we might be able to test and approve God's good, pleasing and perfect will. And having disowned that will to engage, to obey, to go and serve. Paul says that there's really no point striving to embody Christian attitudes if we have not first submitted our lives to the Spirit of Christ to the Holy Spirit who wishes to dwell in us and express himself through us. So Paul's point in those first two opening verses is that it all starts with God. Only from God can such grace flow through human lives of faith and obedience. But then in the next few verses, he goes on to speak about then how we might see ourselves in relation to this wonderful grace. Grace that is given to each believer, gifts that we receive, small or great, however we might view them, but gifts that are given not for our own benefit, but so that we might use them to serve one another. Verse 3, for the grace, but by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. God's gifts are not given to inflate our egos, but for us to accept modestly and humbly and to use sacrificially. If we are to have a right Christian attitude about ourselves, we need to know that we are no longer isolated individuals just looking after ourselves, but we are part of one body. Just as we now belong to Christ, so we belong to one another in Christ. Paul continues by reminding us that just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We're not to think of ourselves highly, but humbly. We're not to lord it over one another, but instead in love to serve one another. For just as Christ gave himself up for us, he calls us daily as those who would follow him to take up our cross and continue that loving service, following his spirit into the world, expressing Christian faith in action. 
this life and this role, as it were, we have in Christ by his spirit isn't like most roles we take on in life. A lot of the roles we take on in life, we start at some stage in our lives and we finish at some stage in our lives, or we retire from them, or we lay them down. This life is the life of the believer from the day we receive Christ to the day we meet him in glory. It isn't something that you, know, you leave with someone else. It is a, a shared responsibility we all share and we all own, and we, do, we, we um, yeah, for one another as well. But then just moving on then to the last little bit. Thank you, Brian. What Paul then does in verses 9 to 18, he goes on and he now lists what I would consider a number of Christian attitudes, which are examples of this fruitful outworking of the Spirit through the life of the believer. And they do read a bit like Proverbs. I certainly see them like that. And I'm going to read them from the New Living Translation, uh, just to give you a different angle on a different translation. It can freshen the words up sometimes to do that. But you can follow them up here if you wish. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold on tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honouring one another. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be so proud that you can't enjoy the company of other people. And certainly don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil for evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honourable. Do all that you can to live at peace with everybody. And the first thing I would say as Paul does this is these are not Christian laws. They're not some sort of tech list. They are Christian attitudes applicable to different situations. They're not an exhaustive list either. They are examples of a fruitful Christian outworking. We should not read them as a list of things to judge others against. We should not read them as a list of things to judge ourselves against. But we should see them for what they are. They are Christ-like attitudes that we, with God's help, should seek to aspire towards and embody in our lives. They're not put here in Scripture, as it were, as a put-us-down to make us feel inadequate but they're here to lift us up, to show us the road on which we may travel with Christ. So can I just suggest that as you look at the list now, or maybe as you look at the list again a bit later, maybe, Romans 12, 9 to 18, you could look for one this week, one Christian attitude here, that you would wish to be more mindful of in your life. Pray about it. 
ask God's help with it. Allow the Spirit who is, it, who is in you and will guide you to remind you, to empower you that that fruitfulness may be more evident in your life. It, that'll be different for different people, very different for different people. But they're not here just as a, a list we should look at and walk away. They are, as I say, it's the road of Christ and we should seek to live in the light of this. Remember, they are sacrificial attitudes. They are actions. They're not just nice ideas, nice thoughts. Sometimes the danger of coming to church, we have all sorts of good intentions and nice thoughts. We walk back out the door and we get on our week. Yeah, it's not really what it's all about, guys. These are actions that are holy and pleasing to God. Your willing, living sacrifice, your spiritual act of worship, your thanksgiving for the wonderful grace, the wonderful hope that you have received in Christ. So take one. Reach into this treasure chest of God's word. Take and eat. Maybe just you can remember once more how Paul describes God's flow of grace from our relationship with God through us into the world. Don't just take it and think you can do it in your own strength. So to close, I'm going to come back to the one verse that I started with, which was verse 12. And it's one of those attitudes which I found a particular relevance to the church at this time. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. It's a call to be patient even on, even when we have, pressing on even when times are hard. It's a call to be faithful in prayer, seeking the Lord's goodwill for this fellowship and this community of which we are part. But it is a call to do so with joy, not with glum, tired faces, when we mistakenly see our Christian service as purely a chore, but with joy, because we recognise what we are doing for our Lord Jesus. A joy of knowing that we are a living sacrifice through whom God's great grace in Christ will flow and can flow into this world. Might we serve him with these attitudes in the coming week. Amen.